You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's really great to see all of you here at City Church this afternoon. Thanks for joining us for worship. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Actually, I haven't been here for the last uh, two Sundays. Been on vacation. This last week, I was in Vegas. Vegas, baby. I was out in Vegas uh, because my son was playing in a volleyball tournament out there and it was uh, my first time in Vegas and uh, I don't know that I ever want to go back but <clears throat> I know some of you surely have been to Vegas and one of the things um, even before I went um, Mac Hendricks who's one of our elders here at the church he said well if nothing else it will be good for some sermon illustrations so here's hoping um, at, at least the illustrations that are uh, safe for sharing in a worship service right um, one of the things about Vegas, and those of you who've been there uh, know this, is that there are a lot of people who are out on the, the strip uh, handing out cards, handing out flyers, trying to get your attention. And I was told uh, in, in very certain terms, whatever you do, don't take any of the cards when you're in Vegas. And, and fortunately, I'm from New England, and so it's very natural for me to avoid eye contact and generally ignore people. Um, so that's just what I did when I was on the strip in Vegas. Those of you who know my wife know that she's much nicer than I am, and so it was harder for her to resist the people handing things out. And at, at one point, one afternoon, uh, she was walking by a beauty store, and the, the person handing out cards gave her a free sample, and very quickly she was whisked inside the store, and they were putting uh, uh, face cream on her and telling her how beautiful she is and uh, trying to sell her on $300 worth of cosmetics. So I, I was thinking about all of this and it made me realize that there, there are at least two types of people there on the strip handing out these cards and trying to get your attention. There's some, there's one group of people and, and maybe it's the majority who are essentially the mercenaries, right? These are the people who are, they're, they're handing out the cards but their heart really isn't in it. You know, they're just doing it because it's a job. It's like the guy outside the, uh, the tax preparation store dressed up in the Statue of Liberty costume, you know, spinning the sign like, He's there, but he's there just for the, the, the money. But there are other people on the strip, and they are true believers. They are real evangelists for the, the moisturizer or the face cream or for the show or whatever it is that they want to get your attention for. Uh, and, and so here, here's why I was thinking about all of that, because I think that's true in a lot of different areas of life. There are the, the people who are kind of going through the motions, but then there are the true believers, the people whose hearts are really in it. And in fact, I think the passage that we're going to read from Luke's gospel today points this out a little bit. And, and that those two different types of people are important for us to reflect on. Because today, as we look at Luke's gospel, we're going to see um, Jesus' disciples, his followers, move from being disciples to apostles. 
Those are two, uh, two words that, if you're familiar with the Bible, maybe you've heard before, um, but sometimes we don't understand the difference between them. You see, disciples are followers or uh, learners. They're people who sit at a rabbi's feet and they learn from what he teaches. Apostles, however, are sent ones. Those are people who go out with the message and the ethic of the teacher. They have learned it so well and they believe it so much that they tell it to others. We're going to talk about that distinction today. And I think it's important because we live in a moment, we live in a cultural moment where it's perfectly fine to be a disciple. It's, if you're into something, that's great. I'm glad that that works for you. You can read about it, you can be an expert on it, you can dedicate time and energy to it. But we, we live in a time where it's not okay to be an apostle. To believe something so much that you would share it with other people. And in fact, that you would reorient your life around the message that the teacher has taught you. That's the pivotal question. That's the pivotal moment that we'll see here in Luke's gospel today. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 9. We're in the middle of a, a series in Luke where we're looking at chapters 7 through 9, and today we're going to start chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 for us. These words are also printed in the worship guide, and you're welcome to follow along there as I read this out loud. Here's what it says. And he, that's Jesus, called the twelve together. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen." Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we know you're here in this place by your spirit. We ask that that spirit would lead us to a real and living and transforming encounter with your son Jesus Christ. As we read about him here in the pages of your word, we also want to encounter him in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. We want to hear his voice offering encouragement to us. We want to hear his command commissioning us into the world just as he sent his first disciples. We pray that you would do this now for our good and for the glory of your name, and we ask it all through Jesus. Amen. This passage makes it clear to us that Christians, followers of Jesus, are sent. We're sent people. And I want to talk about the nature of how we are sent. 
and what we are sent to do and the responses to our being sent today. So first I want to talk about what it is we're sent to do. And this is fairly clear in the passage. We actually see it um, right there in verses 1 and 2. Verse 2 says, Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That's what Christians are sent to do, to proclaim the kingdom and to heal. And then it's repeated at the end of this first paragraph as well. Verse 6 says very much the same thing. It's talking about their response. And it says, they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is a summary of what Christians are sent to do. Proclaim and heal. And what I want you to understand is that this is uh, not just something Jesus came up with. This is the consistent vocation of the people of God throughout all of time, throughout all of Scripture. In fact, if we go all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve, they, uh, they were designed as image bearers of God. They were meant to bear into the world, into all of creation, the image of God. They were to proclaim His glory. And they were, to, uh, they were to have dominion and rule and authority over all of creation in a way that blessed everything. And so after the fall, part of Adam and Eve's role was to heal what had been broken by their transgression. To proclaim and to heal. And then in the, New, uh, in the Old Testament, as it continues, we, we uh, see God's people, the nation of Israel. Their vocation was the same, to proclaim the glory of God and to offer healing, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all nations. They were to be a blessing to others. And I, I think uh, Luke intentionally wants to draw our minds to that, um, by emphasizing that Jesus called the 12 together. Jesus' 12 disciples are analogs to the 12 tribes of Israel. They are fulfilling, they are making good on the original vocation, the original job that was for Israel. is now translated to the disciples, the apostles, and through them to us, the church. The consistent vocation of God's people to proclaim and to heal. It's there in the Old Testament, it continues on into the New Testament. Yes, here in the Gospels, but then also more fully in the book of Acts. That is where Luke continues this one narrative and he begins to tell the story of how the apostles went out and what did they do. Well, if you read through the book of Acts very clearly, you see again that they proclaim and they heal. It starts in the very first chapters of the book of Acts. Acts 2, and Peter stands up in Pentecost and delivers a sermon. He's proclaiming Jesus. Acts 3, Peter heals a lame man. And who goes dancing in the streets and all the people see this wonderful healing work. By Acts 5, uh, the crowds are bringing uh, anyone who has a sickness, anyone who has a disease, that they would be in the presence of the disciples, the apostles, because they have the power to heal. The vocation of God's people is to proclaim and to heal in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and today. This is the work of the church. This is the work that uh, Christ commissions you and me to, to be people who proclaim and to heal. These are not optional accessories for the Christian life. They are central. 
It's what we are uh, made to do. It's what God has called us to do as his image bearers in the world. Well, what does that mean today? What does it look like? Well, we proclaim the kingdom of God. We proclaim the gospel. It can take a lot of different shapes. It can sound uh, differently in different contexts, but it always will involve proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The central facts of the gospel, the central truths of the kingdom, that Jesus died and that he rose again. He died so that your sins and my sins would be paid for, and he rose to new life, showing that his sacrifice was acceptable to God, and showing that there is not a single power in all of creation that is greater than Jesus. We proclaim that message. But we don't just proclaim that message, we also embody the healing that the gospel brings. We embody an ethic of the kingdom, right? For it to be a message that's believable, it must be authenticated by our lives which picture the healing of the gospel. What does this mean? It means that our lives ought to be marked by healed relationships. Where there is brokenness in interpersonal conflict, the gospel brings healing. Where there is addiction and people caught in the grip of habitual sin, there is freedom and they are healed from addiction. There ought to be in the people of God the healing of forgiveness in peace, in unity, everywhere. There's a pastor and theologian named Erwin Ince who talks about this as uh, cosmic Christianity. It's not just that you will be saved from your sins when you die, but it's that now you are living a full life that blesses all of creation, that you are bringing healing wherever healing is needed. That is the work of God's people. That is what Christ has sent his people out to do. Now, uh, one more note on this healing, because I think this can be confusing, and this is an important point. There is a category distinction between what Jesus commissioned his disciples' apostles to do with healing. There was some of their healing, most of their healing, was a a one-time Uh, miraculous healing to authenticate their message, to prove that what they were saying about the gospel was true. Now that we have the scripture, now that this message has been codified and canonized in God's holy word, we don't have that authenticating healing power in the same miraculous way. Now, there may still be times and places, exceptional times and places where this sort of healing is carried out by God's people. But we, uh, we don't expect it in the same way that the apostles did because we are operating in a different time. Now, we still absolutely should care for people in a way that offers healing and pray for people in a way that would bring healing into their lives. And God may choose to hear those prayers and honor our prayers for healing, but we can't expect it as though God is some genie in a bottle for us. I think that's an important point, and it may be a question that you had about the nature of this healing, that there is a difference between the apostles and our situation now. So what are we sent to do? We are sent to proclaim and to heal. 
I want you to look now, though, at how we are sent to do this work. And again, the passage is very clear. The first way that we're sent to proclaim and to heal is with power and authority. Verses 1 and 2. He called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority. We are sent out, but we are sent out with the very power and authority of Christ Jesus himself. Before Christ sends, he gives. Before he asks you to do something, he gives you everything you need in order to do that something. For the last uh, couple months here at City Church, again and again, as we've looked at Luke chapter 7 and 8, we have seen these themes of Jesus' authority and his compassion. They were hallmarks of his ministry. And as he extends that ministry to include his disciples, his apostles, he gives them the same authority and compassion. And he says, as you now go and proclaim, as you go now and heal, go with my authority, carry my compassion. That's the secret of the kingdom. That's how this works. That's why we're called Christians, Christ ones, because we are united to Christ and his power and compassion is working through us as we go. So in fact, it's not ourselves we're offering to the world. It's Christ in us that we are offering. Proclaiming him, offering healing that comes through his name. I think the reason this is so important to understand that we are given power and authority as we're sent is because of the defeaters that are in our minds and hearts. The things that uh, we think disqualify us because we will say, uh, well, it's, it's not my place to say to another person. It's not my place to say anything to them. You have the power and authority of the creator and redeeming God. It is your place to proclaim the kingdom. Or the defeater in, in our minds or that we often hear from other people and they'll say, well, what gives you the right to speak into my life? The Heavenly Father has given me the right. Power and authority from God to us as we proclaim and as we heal. And if you're doubting this, if you're wondering, well, how do you get from Luke 9 to, to my life? Well, see the Great Commission, the end of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus says something very similar. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, teaching and baptizing in my name. It's the same idea, power and authority given to Christ that he then gives to his people that they would proclaim and heal the world. The reason I think this is so important is that we cannot be sent unless we have received from Jesus Christ. And, and so many of us think about this apostolic calling or think about the commissioning of Jesus Christ and we feel overwhelmed by that because we haven't really received the gospel. We haven't received his power and authority to go. We can only go, we can only be sent once we've received. And I would add a corollary to that, we will only go insofar as we continue to receive as we continue to know his power and his authority, his compassion and his grace rests on us, then we will go. We will go and proclaim and we will heal. So if you are to be someone who proclaims, you must have the gospel proclaimed to you. 
How does that happen? Well, here at church, it happens as you read your Bible. You get this download of the good news of freedom and life and joy and peace, and you can proclaim it to others. There's this great little phrase that we use a lot, and it's that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Yes. If you've never heard that phrase before, let me introduce you to it. You need the gospel proclaimed to you, and sometimes it's your own voice in your head reminding you of what's true so that you can proclaim it to others. Because if you don't hear it, if you don't believe it, you'll never proclaim it to others. The same applies to healing, right? In order to heal others, in, uh, in order to be involved in a ministry of healing, you yourself must be healed by the gospel. Your relationships must have gospel oxygen flowing through them. You must be the type of person that when there's conflict, either that you've caused or another has caused, that you allow Jesus' sacrifice to bring healing and hope there. If that's not true of your life, if it's not happening in your heart, in your relationships, you will not be able to bear it to others. Oh, but if you do, if there is gospel oxygen and gospel blood flowing through your veins, you won't be able to help yourself. But where there is brokenness, uh, you will uh, bring healing and hope. When you encounter someone who is stuck in addiction, you'll be able to talk about how the gospel healed you and set you free. When you do encounter someone who is anxious and despairing, you'll be able to talk about the gospel hope that you received. You will proclaim the kingdom. You will bring healing everywhere. So how are we sent? We're sent with power and authority. But another way that we're sent, I want you to see, is that we're sent in dependence. And I think this is essential, that we are sent out dependent on Jesus Christ. It's very similar to what I was saying before. But the reason it's so important is because it's another defeater of why we aren't sent. We aren't sent into the world. We feel like we can't be sent in the world because we think we're doing it all ourselves. We think it's up to us. We think we have to do it independently. No, do it dependently. You do it dependently on Christ Jesus. Look again at verses 3 through 5. I think it makes this point clear. Jesus said, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Why? Why, why all these detailed instructions? The point behind all of this is Jesus is saying it's a simple mission. Depend on me. Don't depend on, on your backpack. Don't depend on all your supplies. My son, uh, Reed, is notorious for being a very light packer, right? Jesus is saying to all of us, as you go out on mission, proclaiming the kingdom and healing everywhere, pack light. You can pack light because Jesus is with you. You're going dependent on him. You ever go camping with someone who has like all the gear, right? Everything you could possibly need for the one night you're going to be out in the wilderness. Jesus is saying the opposite of that. You've got me. I'm all you need. You don't need the gear for this trip. 
And then in verse 4, it says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Here, he, uh, here he's saying not only is a simple mission, it's a stable mission. Go to one place. Don't flit around and, and uh, uh, go knock on one door and then go knock on another door. Pick a spot and engage in ministry there. Build relationships because as you do that, you'll have power in proclaiming the kingdom and offering healing. And it's dependent. It's dependent on the hospitality of those you meet. Go to that house. They'll provide for you. You don't need a lot. Trust me. And then the, the last part, uh, verse 5, it's, uh, it's a little bit strange. It says, uh, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Here, I think Jesus is saying it's a simple mission, it should be a stable mission, but it's also a serious mission. Because this uh, action of shaking the dust off your feet, it's really basically saying good riddance to that place. It's saying if they reject you, it's okay. Don't despair. Move on to the next place. You have been faithful to the mission. The results aren't up to you. The results are up to God. But the faithfulness is you proclaiming and you healing of doing what you are sent out by God to do. I think this is so important for us because another defeater, another reason that many of us fail to be sent out into the world is that we're a lot more concerned about what other people think of us than what Jesus thinks of us. And here Jesus is saying, you can depend on what I think of you. I love you. You're my beloved. My favor rests on you. I'm proud of you. Depend on that. Don't depend on what other people may think of you. If they reject you, knock the dust off your feet and move on. You have been faithful. Christians are sent people. What are we sent to do to proclaim and to heal? How are we sent? Well, with power and authority and independence on Christ. And finally, what is the response to our being sent? Well, I've talked about some of this already. We've, we've talked about the first possible response. It's rejection. Hence the shaking the dust off your feet. That's, that's a possibility. But if people are unreceptive to the message of the gospel and the healing that the gospel offers, that's not on you. Let it go. You haven't failed. The, the second possible response, though, the, the second and third possible responses we see in this little uh, anecdote about Herod. Verse 7, it says, Herod heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. You see, that's the second response, perplexity. He wonders, is this John the Baptist? Is this Elijah? Is this one of the prophets who has come back? You see, he, uh, he's cycling in his mind through all the categories he has for the extraordinary, for the miraculous. Well, John the Baptist, Elijah, another prophet. It's perplexing. When people hear the good news of the gospel, when they see the ethic of the gospel being lived out by people, it's confusing because it's so counter to the brokenness and hatred that we're accustomed to in this world. 
So as we do this work, as you uh, talk about forgiveness, as you talk about this little word grace, as you live that out in your lives, it's going to confuse people. Don't be daunted by that. Press on. Press on. Herod was perplexed. Maybe you were perplexed at one point in your life where someone began talking about Jesus. It's okay. That's one of the responses. Continue to be faithful. Because the third response we see in this passage is a response of seeking. It says in verse 9, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Who could this be? You know, this sermon series on Luke chapter 7 through 9, we've called it, Who Do You Say That I Am? And here Herod asked that same question. Who could this be? Who is this Jesus? Is he a madman? Is he just another teacher? Or is he the savior of the world? And when people begin to hear the gospel proclaimed and when they begin to see the healing that the gospel brings lived out in your life and in my life, they will start asking this question, who could this be? I need to come and take a closer look. I want to see him. And maybe, just maybe, you should come and see him too. These different responses, this these different reactions to us as we're faithful to Jesus' command that sends us out. So let me ask the final question. Are you sent? I couldn't shake this feeling last week as walking the streets of Las Vegas. And seeing so much, quite frankly, sadness. It really should be called Sad Vegas. It is a sad place. And yet, very little inside of me gave a rip about all those sad people I saw. I just didn't feel sent to them. Never once did I think about proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And very, uh, there were very few ways that I embodied this ethic of healing that the kingdom offers. I was challenged by that question. Am I sent? A preacher of the word, a pastor in a church. But am I a sent to sad and despairing people? Throwing their lives away in the chase of pleasure or distraction, or sin? I think that question should resonate for all of us. And we know the answer to the question, are you sent? Yes, you are sent. Jesus makes that clear. The Bible makes that clear. The real question becomes, are you going? Are you going? Proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus in embodying the healing of the kingdom of our Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words to the disciples and how those words echo down through the years to us today. I pray by your Spirit that you would press these truths into our lives.
that you would bring conviction where we need conviction, and that you would bring hope for those who need hope today. We thank you that the gospel is still full of the work of healing, and we ask that you would bring that into our lives even now. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.